It is Legends Territory, Scotty Braun and Eric Kratz. And thank you, as always, to our MLB Players Alumni Association fam for setting up the best former player conversations in the biz. And check out BaseballAlumni.com for more info on your favorite former players. Quick reminder, if you're watching on YouTube right now, we also appear on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify Podcasts, so check us out there as well. And now it is time to bring in... The next legend, he is a recent Mets Team Hall of Famer, spent most of his time with the Metropolitans, including a 1986 World Series ring. That was a pretty big deal. He's also got a ring from 1984 with the Detroit Tigers, a two-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger, spent a lot of time after his playing days as a coach in the minor leagues and in the major leagues. Howard Johnson, swinging by Legends Territory. Hojo, great to see you. How's everything going in life? Morning, guys. Uh, life is good. It's busy, but it's been good. Just staying busy, that's for sure. You know what's amazing, Kratzy? I'm looking at the two World Series titles. You had those two rings by age 25, correct? Yeah, that, that is, that's correct. Yeah, that's happened good early. Happened quick. That is good living. <laughs> but I, something happened after that because I didn't get any more. <laughs> yeah, you got two more than almost everyone else in the world. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's weird though when you get them early like that. It was it was it was fortunate for me. I mean, I, you know, the Tiger team was incredible when I got over there. Just thinking about, you know, because there's been a lot of talk the last couple couple years about the two teams, and you know, when you compare them player wise, you know, style of play, how they won games, uh, it was a, you know, it was pretty much a stroke of luck that I was on that team because. I was the last guy to make it, and you know, I ended up getting some, you know, some playing time that year in '84. But uh, you know, the veterans that we had, it was just, it was just the right combination at the right time. Because after that, the team was competitive, but uh, you know, the pitching was getting older, and that was uh, the main driver behind you know them trading me to the Mets. You were, you were, you were young during those two championships. Would you have rather yeah. traded those two championships? For two championships later on when you were, you know, all-star, silver slugger, or or as like some of those leaders that were on those teams, like if you were playing that role, would you rather have had those championships then or when you had them? That's a great question. I've been asked that before, but I, I would say, I would say, I think it's better to get them early just because it, it gives you the, I don't want to say formula, but it gives you the the plan, so to speak, of how to win a game in the major leagues. And there's other ways, there's different ways to do it, but I think the Tigers had a real good formula with, you know, scoring real very early in the game with our top two, you know, top three guys between, uh, you know, Whitaker, Trammell, Gibson, you know, that was a run usually uh, almost every day early on. And by the time that, that trio was back around for the third or fourth time through the line, you know, the, the rotation, uh, you know, we could score more. So, you know, our pitching was solid. I think our starting pitching wasn't as deep uh, as the Mets was. But um, the guys that we had, I think, were extremely dominant for both. So, you know, it just kind of gave, gave me an idea, like, what to expect, how to win. And it does do a lot as far as your mental preparation. I think you always feel like you have some level of confidence that you know how to win. And I think, 
I think that that's the thing that is hard to explain. And that's why being on a winning team is so valuable because it's that mental edge that you get uh, having gone through that a couple of times. So you're saying winning matters. So maybe you should, maybe we should send this out to all the big league teams that are not trying to win. But <laughs> all, all that to say, then in 87, after you guys won, you started taking off. Were you sitting there going, okay, like, dude, I'm raking now. Like, okay, we're going to win. How many more championships did you think you were going to win in your career? Whether you're with the Mets or not, how many more, yeah. like, after you won two, were you like, oh, yeah, I'll get X amount? I, I actually thought I was going to be on a couple more. I thought 88 we should have won for sure. Uh, the Dodgers got very hot there at the right time. We really lost them one time all year. I think we won 11 out of 12 against L.A., and which is an incredible feat considering, you know, they had to win the whole thing. And they swept through Oakland, who was a kind of a juggernaut. It was, uh, you know, I thought I was going to get more. Um, but, you know, the way it works is like you, you know, you're in, you're playing and you just take every year separate. And that's, I never really thought, okay, well, now that I've won twice early that I'm going to win, you know, a lot more. I think you just look at it each year separate and you just kind of build off of that. We never really had the team after that that I, that I felt like had, had the, uh, the tools to win, you know, with regards to pitching and, and just uh, the right position players. It was just uh, kind of a hodgepodge after that. So it just, that's kind of the way the team went kind of up and down, just not, not really consistent. I want to go back to what Kratz said for a sec because, yeah, it's amazing when teams try. So does tanking nowadays in baseball drive you nuts because you, you wipe out a generation of fans? Like, oh, great, yeah. we sucked for six years, got draft picks, now we're going to be good for six years. But yeah. can't you figure out both? should be able to figure out both. It doesn't seem like it would be that difficult. I think the promotion of individual players over the years with ESPN, you know, all the online stuff, you know, the just there's a lot of individual, you know, attention paid to players. I think that that does take attention off the team in a way. Because when you grow up as a kid, I mean, you have your favorite players, but, you know, you had your favorite teams. You had your teams that you rooted for regardless. You know, I mean, I, I was a, you know, Tampa Bay Bucks fan when I was a kid. I grew up in Clearwater. And I was I love the Bucks. I still do, and you know I knew the, some of the players, but it wasn't wasn't like it is now where everything's you know out out in your face all the time. And I just love the team. And it's the same way in New York, I think there's fans that that love the team, and it's around it's all around the game, any sport really. So if you if you kill a season because you're gonna tank um to what to get a little higher draft pick so you can draft the, the pitcher that you know may or may not make it probably going to get tj at some point uh i don't i don't like that i think it's that's kind of um i don't want to say cop out but i just think it's kind of a they can hide from that it's it's too convenient of a of an excuse to um to tank games uh, in all sports really just to get a draft pick i don't get it so you're killing it as fans but as players, what, how do you feel like, what do you feel like the players feel like in, in those times? Horrible. I would, now I wouldn't call this situation I'm going to describe now as tanking, but um, we had an opportunity, I believe in 2000, 2009, 
no, 2008, excuse me, 2008, I think we were a couple games up uh, late in the season, and we had seen a, a lead like similar to 2007. We had a big lead and kind of saw it shrink. 2008, the same thing was happening. We were, we were losing the lead uh, in the division, and we had glaring weaknesses in our bullpen. We, we, had, we really had no closer. Uh, I can't even tell you the guy's name that was end up closing games at the end, but we were really struggling, and we really wanted to get um, another pitcher. We needed it badly. I mean, if we would have gotten a decent reliever for the month of September, we would have we won our division, I believe, hands down, and I, I swear by that. But And they even asked us. They, they had meetings with us, the front office, and there was a lot of information out there, and we just kind of settled on a couple of guys. We thought, yeah, these would be the ones we want to try to grab if we could. And, um, you know, fi finances really wasn't an issue, but um, nothing ever happened. They never made one trade at the, tra at the trade deadline or any of the, the, uh, the post-deadline trades. You could have picked up a guy – for for really nothing down you know down the stretch we didn't we didn't get it so and we ended up really pissing away a lead that we should have held on to and it was very very frustrating as a coach because the guys played so well all year we really felt that we had had a team that could go but that's how good we were offensively uh, but our bullpen was just was just in tatters and we couldn't couldn't finish a game so we ended up collapsing Dan you look at the team that ended up coming out of the East, you know, that was, you know, Phillies were coming out of the East during that yeah. time. And they, you know, you guys were always neck and neck. How, how is that when, when that doesn't happen at the trade deadline, yep. does that bring the team together more or does that like deflate the team? And I know you're a coach, not a player, but in, in that situation, but you know, how, what is that? What is that dynamic like? That's a good question. I, 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 I want to say it's deflating. Because, you know, players, that, when they get down to September, I mean, it's a long season, so you get down to the finish line and you want to finish strong. As every player wants to do that. Um, except the tanking teams, they don't. But players do. They want to finish strong. The team wants to finish strong the, the, as a group. But when you, when you don't get the players or a player that you thought maybe you would get, um, you know, certain guys are going to feel anxiety because they don't want to be the one traded or they don't want to be the one let go. But I think as a whole, I think it deflates your locker room when that doesn't happen. And when the exact opposite happens, when you do get that player, regardless of the sport, if you add the right guy down the stretch, you get, you get an up, uptick from it. You get lifted up from it. It's going to help you mentally. And in a game where, you know, mental capacity and mental – awareness is so huge, you know, you damage it a little bit or you help it a little bit, it can, it can pay real dividends quickly. Um, and it does a lot for the fan base. I mean, the fan base absolutely gets deflated when something doesn't happen. And so when it does happen, you know, when you do get that player, it's like, wow, that's awesome. You know, you, you, you're trying, you're going for it. And you want that message sent um, all the time because you want to feel like your front office or you know, the organization is 100% in the fight with you. And then when it doesn't happen, it's like, okay, we're out here, staying out here naked on our own. So we could, we could, we're going to bust our butts, you know, regardless, as hard as we can play. 
try to get the thing done, get to the finish line. But, you know, I mean, we're professionals. That's what we do. But still, I think from an emotional standpoint, it's kind of a gut punch. So you were talking about superstars coming on, you know, ESPN really promoting superstars. The superstar I think of from 86 team is Doc, just absolutely mm. hosing fools on the mound. Like you were out there, you were front row seat to see him do his thing in New York City for a World Series aspiring yeah. team. What was that like to see that? Well, it was electric. It was electric every time Doc took the mound. It was just the anticipation, you know, of what he was going to do. And you know, I've always always said there's two guys. I've told this to many people. There's two guys that if my life depended on it, like if they were going to lose a game and if we lost, they were going to kill me then I'd want to have Dwight Gooden on the mound or Jack Morris. Either one of those two guys. They were, they were absolutely lights out back then. The best, the best big game pitcher I ever saw. And I know there's going to be other guys people think of, but for me, those are the two that, that really stood out in my career. And every time Doc took the mound, I mean, it was just, you know, how many strikeouts is he going to get? And if you were going to get him, it had to be early. It wasn't going to be later in the ball game. It was going to be the first inning maybe. Uh, but he was just, just dominant. I saw, I just remember watching, you know, high end quality major league future hall of fame hitters absolutely just melt like ice cream in the box when he was on the mound, because it was just unbelievable. When he got on a roll, it just had no, no shot, no chance. Those guys had no chance to hit. And when it was out, it was like a day off out there just watching him. It was fun. We just wanted to get back in the dugout and hit and score a couple of runs and, you know, basically have fun the rest of the game. It was that, that's the way it felt. What were they like as people in terms of when you came across them in your career and how they were handling all of the success and all of the melting of hitters? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so they, so they were, uh, get it. They were cool. So they were, um, they were very, they were very good. They're good, good teammates, good in the locker room. And, you know, they're always, you know, talking and stuff. Uh, Jack would talk quite a bit. I mean, he was a little bit more veteran than Doc was at the time, but when I was over there, so he was more of a locker room presence than Doc was. Doc was content just to kind of hang out, do his thing. I mean, he's from Tampa and we used to talk about the Bucks all the time. And we talked football and talked food and all that. And, you know, he loved to eat, that guy. And, and so, um, you know, just normal guy in the locker room. Just And Jack was a little bit more of a uh, kind of a clubhouse leader in a way. I mean, certain leader of the pitching staff. Um, we didn't have that. We didn't have the typical, like, captain of the pitching staff that I think Jack was. Jack was that guy in Detroit. And Doc was just a young guy trying to make his mark and just was dominant. Uh, he knew it. And we knew it, and just and as down to earth the guys you could get at, at that point. And uh, of course, we didn't know what was happening behind the scenes, but um, you know, with the drugs and stuff. But uh, for most of his, you know, for most of his career with the Mets, he was pretty good. But you're saying Jack would talk a lot, like talk like the leader, or he would talk smack. The way you said it, kind of sounded like he would like <laughs> he was he was confident and would and would talk trash to dudes. Well, I mean, I think. I don't, I don't know if it was talking smack or talking trash, but it was just more of a certain confidence that he had in himself, which is great. I mean, I, I thought it was awesome. But I think some guys, uh, some guys 
on certain days, I won't say every day, but so, some days, maybe they're just in a bad mood or they just don't want to be, you know, they don't want, they don't want, they don't want nothing. They don't want, they want to be left alone and which is fine. Um, that's the locker room, you know, you have that all the time. So, uh, you know, Doc was just always a little, a little bit different than Jack. Jack was a little bit more like every now and then just didn't, didn't want to be hanging around. But, you know, with, with Doc, it was always like, hey, let's, you know, let's do some other, you know, let's talk some more, let's do some, you know, laugh some more. So just, just different, just different, different personalities. But when they took the mound, that's who, that's who I wanted out there. All right. So we're not holding a gun to you, but you do have to pick now. You, you chose two. <laughs> you can't choose two. You got to choose one. Only one can start. Oh, man. Only one can start? Well, I'll take, I'll take the 86 Doc to start for my life. How about that? Okay. I've never been, I've never been asked that about making a choice. So that's that's a good one. It's a tough question because I I don't want to offend either guy. Yeah, it's really it's really a tie. But I mean, if I had to pick one, I guess it'd have to be Dockney from the '86 team. We don't yeah. take ties. We don't. Take <laughs> no, no, you got to do it. You got to do gotta it. Choose. You got to make the choice. You got to pick, man. You got to pick. I get it. All right. Absolutely. I'll be prepared yeah. next time. Now I may may say may say uh, Jack another day. <laughs> that's fair. Right now, that's fair. Doc. Today you said Doc. <laughs> that's right. All right, so so take us through. I know you've talked a lot about 1986 in life. So take us through for you the emotional roller coaster that it was. Of course, the drama behind the scenes has been well documented, and also the yeah. fun behind the scenes has been well documented. Like, what what are some of the things that stand out that when you're sitting back with buddies having drinks, you make sure that you point out? Well, I was just in New York. Over the weekends, Daryl Strawberry had a charity tournament, golf tournament, and a bunch of the 86 guys were there, including Doc was there. So it was it was cool. I mean, I never had a team. Detroit was was pretty was pretty close. I mean, anytime you win, you're you're gonna you're gonna think your team was really close. But I thought the Mets team was just a different kind of close, where. Everybody was pulling the same direction. We had zero, and in Detroit too, we had no problems there. But you know, everybody's pulling the same direction. There was no issues with with any with each other, nothing with management, uh, Davey, the coaching staff, nothing. Everything was smooth, and it bled over into the the bus rides and you know post game stuff. Not that now wait now I have to think about this because nowadays. You know, post-game celebrations are like, forget about it. That's a, it's a production now when guys go into the locker room after a simple win or a home run or whatever. It's just amazing what guys can do now. And I'm, I can't be the only one that drives crazy, but, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, we live in this, we live in the era. But there was none of that kind of celebration with either team, with the, with the Tigers or the Mets. And... Even to this day, talking to guys, it's, they always bring it up. And that's why I bring it up, because somebody was talking to me on Monday about that very thing, about the celebration guys have now and all this and that. And just, I don't know, it just rubs the older guys the wrong way. But, you know, we kind of grew up in an era where, you know, it's, you know, act like you did it before and, you know, not, not go all crazy. But it's all good. I understand. I understand what the, the era we live in. But, um, yeah, just... Celebrations. We get to the 
playing, you know, card games would start, you know, some of the guys drinking or whatever. So there was just always a lot of activity going on with that team, and it was, it was just fun to be around it. We're stepping aside for a quick sec to shout out our partnership with Shady Rays, and we're also going to show off some of the FT fam rocking the shades. AJ thinks he's an agent whenever he puts those on, and Locaine's loving what he's got. I mean, here's the deal, okay? You're probably paying way too much cash for your sunglasses. And Shady Rays is here with premium polarized shades that will not break the bank. They've got you covered. These are quality shades. They are built to last. And they offer the most ridiculous protection plan. I mean that in a good way. In all of eyewear, every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements protection. If you lose your pair, if you break your pair, even the first day you get it, like you take it out and then you're like, I don't know where I put it right away. They told us they'll send a brand new pair no questions asked. So you can wear them with confidence because they've got your back. That's why we're such a big fan of what they're doing over there. And of course, they're also providing much needed support to nonprofit partners across the United States through the Shady Rays Impact Program. So we're also going to announce exclusively for foul territory watchers and listeners and legends territory and fair territory, anyone in the foul territory fam shady rays giving out their best deal of the season just go to shadyrays.com use the code foul f-o-u-l all caps please for 50 percent off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over two hundred fifty thousand people and if you get them post a pic send them to us on our foul territory socials so we can tell AJ and maybe Locaine that you guys look even better than they do. So make sure you get yourself a pair and let's get back to the show. Let me present you the case then from the, uh, from the generation playing now. So when, when you were playing <laughs> during that run, right? Baseball was King, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So was. now what's King football football's King. And in my mind, MLB has not kept up with the times. And it seems like the players are trying to keep up with the times by saying that's a good, that's th- a good. this generation of fan needs more. They need more emotion. They need more of a storyline to follow. They need more spice. And baseball can't just play itself out and be this beautiful game and win over all fans. There's so much more competition. So do you feel like that helps the cause now to keep the game at a status of being one of the top sports? Because, yeah, football – in my mind, basketball in the way that the drama, the celebrating, the emotion, the openness of yeah. um, players connecting with fans about basically everything going on in their lives. That to me is the difference. I'm with you. I mean, I, I grew up watching a different game of baseball, but yeah. I don't know if, if that brand exists now. I think people really go, well, this is kind of lame. I'm just watching the game and they haven't really marketed to me. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on your level, like how much you really, you know, love the game or you love the stuff that the fluff, you know, the extra stuff, you know, whenever, whenever you take away from, you put a focus on something other than the actual game itself, you know, I think that it takes away from the game. You know, if you watch a, you know, if you ever watch um, an MLB network or something or anywhere really for that matter, um, older games, older World Series games, older playoff games, older anytime, like, you know, big games that show up. And you watch the pace of the game. That's what people like. 
they like the pace of the game. They want guys to be, you know, attacking all the time. They want, you know, they, they don't mind guys getting hit if that's what it takes. You know, there's there's battles, there's fights, there's you know, guys with charge amount. I mean, there's different things. You can't do that anymore, really. Um, they 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 find guys out of that now. They just take take their money, and that's that that's their that's the disincentive to do that. So now they have to replace that with something else. So now it's just crazy celebration. I mean, pitchers and hitters. And it's, I mean, it is what it is. I'm just, I don't want to sound like an old man, but, you know, geez, I mean, we got to calm it down a little bit. It just seems like it seems like we're off, we're off the chain. I mean, you know, the NFL, as much as they, as popular as they are, and I love the NFL and the celebrations that they have, I mean, they can get out of hand. I'm not a fan of them all running down as a team and doing something in the end zone. I'm not a fan of that. I'd rather just see the guy do something. But what am I going to do? You know, it's I'm still going to watch it because I love the game. That's what I watch the game for. So from my perspective, to me, that's the most important thing is the game itself. And all the other stuff, it's, just, it's there. I mean, it can be entertaining, but it's not why I tune in. I think that's well, why I'm- baseball baseball can get – could get caught in that because they lose fans. You know, they they have gone through a period where they lost some fans and popularity. Although the game at the youth level is exploding, the game at the highest level is not. And I think you nailed it on the pace, which you know has definitely been much better this year, of course, because it was getting so slow. Players were taking advantage of, oh, we don't have timeouts, we don't have limits on clocks on anything. All right, let's just take forever to do everything. So I, I like that part. The other part that stood out to me is is the brawls. I mean, sure, they're not good for your face, for your body, um, but they were entertaining as hell. And I don't know what the exact numbers are, but there were way more of them. And also, it's hard to even truly document because now bench is still clear, I would say, at least once a week or two. But nothing happens. Literally nothing happens. So why, why even clear? Why even clear the benches? Just sit down chirp a little and move on you know nobody throws punches nobody does anything which hey great i mean we're not trying to get everyone's you know skulls crushed but at the same time that happened all the time when you were playing right how many fights did you get involved in oh we were multiple fights during the year uh five six seven that's a lot i mean in in baseball that's a lot that's a lot you know there was there'd maybe be three or four that were pretty pretty good i mean they were entertaining to watch and then there was several that were not quite to that level, but they were still entertaining. But the threat of that being there was always, you know, it was present. And so not saying that's why we, that's why fans watch the game, but it is a part of the game. It's part of the game. It's not, it's not, you know, intimidation is part of the game. In the NFL, it's part of the game. That's, that's the, that's the only issue that people have nowadays, and, I, and I'm all, I'll offer player safety, but at some point, um, and I can't compare baseball to football because football is like a train wreck or a car wreck every day. But, you know, the, the violence and the, the impact is what draws people in. Uh, there's other stuff too, but, I mean, that's part of it, right? The, the battle in the trenches, that's why it's so good. Um, in basketball, there's just nothing. How about, how about simply... Arguing with the umpire, the manager cannot, there's no arguing. There's no, there's no coming out. There's none of that happening. And fans used to love watching that as part of the game, right? You would get, get it off your, get it off your chest and go, go get the umpire. 
Now you just say, okay, well, let's go, let's go to the replay, you know, close play, uh, replay, call them. And then you get the yes, no, and you challenge or not. And so there's like, okay, well, now you can prove your case almost immediately. There's no arguing. And that's, that's the, the game is just kind of mellowed in that way. And I think people see it, maybe not the youth. I don't know, but I think people that, you know, that have the money, they see it. I mean, they, they, they realize it. It's just different. Not saying, not saying it's not a great game. It's still a great game, but the other stuff can get in the way. The lack of it can, can, can leave a void. I think that's trying to be filled. If you're playing, if you're having five to seven fights a year, I'm not going to make you choose which one is your craziest. <laughs> yeah, so, don't don't make me choose. So I'm going to choose. So I'm going to choose. <laughs> I want I want to hear your point of view from the Ray Knight, Eric Davis oh, yeah. fight because yeah. for me that was epic. I was I forget how old I was. I was below ten years old, but it was to see that. I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, these guys are going to yeah. kill each other. There's dust flying. But I want your point of view from that fight. Well, I, I, I had gone into shortstop, I think, the inning before that. So, you know, when you know the Reds back then were incredibly good. I mean, they were they were really a good team. Um, they ended up winning, I think, a couple years later. But they had a good ball club, I and mean, we we had a lot of respect for them. Eric Davis, Dave Parker, all those guys. I know I'm missing missing some, but they had, they had a good team, and we respected them a lot. And then, you know, we were having that kind of a season in 86. And there was a lot of activity going on. I think Pete Rose might have been still involved at that point. I don't remember on all that clearly. But, yeah, so Eric slides into third base. You know, he's kind of a pop-up slide. Not dirty or anything, but just, you know, Ray. Ray was a former Gold Gloves guy. So he, he was very familiar with, with punching. And... You know, Eric kind of slid into him, and it was just that time of the game. It was really late. Um, I don't remember if the game was tied or what, what the score was. But, you know, that might have been the winning run. And it just, just reacted. I mean, Ray, that was, he was having a great season, and he just pushed all the right buttons that year. And he just – he had it, you know. So, he boom, popped him. And uh, it was on at that point. It was just like flat out. And he did not – we fought the Reds a lot. So if I if I did have to nail one thing down, that was the one team that we fought the most was Cincinnati. Second team would be Pittsburgh, but Cincinnati Cincinnati would always drill guys, and we would always fight them, and that's just the way it was. So it was just kind of an extension of the other fights, '86. So yeah, being a shortstop, seeing it all right there, my my goal is just to get in the middle, start trying to pull guys away, making sure you're not getting popped in the process. You know, which happens, it's gonna happen. Or or end up at the bottom of the pile. You don't wanna be you don't wanna be that guy. So you're trying to you're trying to help your guys by pulling them off. Really. You feel like you feel like Greenies had something to do with that because <laughs> I was com- because I was I was coming into the big leagues as Greenies were coming out, but in the minor leagues when I was playing, like guys would take Greenies and it was like it, it would it would turn guys around. I mean not saying like one specific person had them, but guys would have them day game. You're oh yeah. You're just a different person. You feel like that had something to do with the fights? Hundred percent. I mean, that's sure. That's part of it. Is you know, if you could give guys, uh, you know, 
downers and things and bring them down. You give them uppers and stuff. They're gonna, it's gonna put them through the roof. Then they give that. Then they give that to guys in the military before they went to fight. So it was just, it was just one of those things where that was just a, it was just a pill that guys. Not everybody took them, but it was, it was out there. It was widespreadly, widespread available to players um, because you play, you're playing every day. And I always tell people when they ask me about drugs and all that stuff, I go. I go, you know, steroids really isn't about, you know, strength as much as it is about recovery. Um, because I remember, I remember talking to like, uh, I mean, the guys that I saw on my team, like, like, like uh, Lenny, he, you know, he got big, you know, he got big and strong and hit some, started hitting homers, but it was really about recovery for him. Barry Bonds, I remember watching him on TV and just, you know, travel is what gets guys out of the game. So they take stuff for that. And when you're traveling at night, you know, from one place to another, you get in at two or three in the morning, you've got to beat the field again. It's just, it's just a long, it's a long day. It's a short night. You've got to be ready. Um, and sometimes mentally guys feel like they needed that, that, that help. Okay. You know, like think of a cup of coffee, but you know, a hundred times that. So you just, you just, I don't know, it gives you, makes you feel like you have an edge. I, I didn't, I, whenever I took them, very rarely I took, took uh, greenies. But when I did it, maybe too hyper. So I just stayed off of it because I, I felt too good. I felt too wired up, too amped. So I stopped. And, and I could always tell when I played, when I was playing, like in Chicago, we'd go there, it was a day game. And I love playing in the day games. But the pitchers on the mound, because it was hot, Winds blowing out usually, summertime. They're not on. They're not taking anything for it, and I could just tell they didn't want to be out there. So I figure I had a little bit of an advantage at that point. And so, I like I like going out there, as he used to say, naked, and playing the game. And that's that's. I mean, it's gone now. It's over. I mean, there's. I don't think there's. Besides, like you said, the Adderall. That's the legalized version, I guess. So what's what's you were you were accused of using the corked bat, you know, mm-hmm. so there's like different stuff like that from plenty of guys careers. What do you think is you're t- you've talked a lot about the mental side. Is there a mental yeah. side of thinking, OK, I'm going to have I have a corked bat or do you think there's more of a mental, you know, advantage to taking steroids? You know, which is, is there you know, is there a level there or is it just kind of the whole like. I just want the advantage that I can get. Yeah. Well, I think that's the driver. It's, it's really whatever advantage you can get. That's kind of the, that's kind of what you learn growing up that, you know, pitchers were going to cheat hitters. were going to do things. You know, you're looking for signs, you're doing different things. Of course, you know, Houston took it to a different level uh, with the garbage can stuff, but don't think for a second that nobody thought about that. Cause I, as a hitting coach, we go to the video room. I'm looking for pitchers. I'm looking at their deliveries between innings, and I'm trying to pick stuff up. You know, um, so anybody's everybody's trying to get an advantage. They're still trying to get advantages now. So I don't think people have stopped doing that. But you know, not having done either one, I didn't, didn't do steroids, didn't cork the bat. But any kind of advantage you feel like you can gain mentally, I think you try to get it um, physically. You know, that's that's harder. I think you just try to guys lift weights, guys work out during the season to get strong, to stay strong. 
I think it's, it has its physical help, of course, but that's obvious. But I think that the, the underlying uh, assist is the mental side. When you know that you feel strong, you know that you feel good, you know that your body can handle the wear and tear, mentally that helps. Um, with regards to the cork bat, I think they took my bat out of the game six or seven times uh, after a home run and they'd ship it off to New York. I wouldn't see it till the next day, hopefully. And uh, yeah, that was it. So they took my bats out and yeah, every one of them passed. So there was nothing, nothing, no issue with that. But it was just one of those things where I think the mental side can be a big advantage also on the other end. You could, like other teams, managers would, well, Whitey told me this in the, lot, in the hallway at Shea Stadium on the way out. He goes, I'm just trying to make it in your head. I'm just trying to disrupt your, your mindset. And I go, oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. But you can't. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. So, yeah, that's it's just a mental game at that point, at that level. Uh, physical, there's certainly a factor, but it's not it's not as much as people think. I would have been like, oh, you want to see this bat all natural, baby. You want <laughs> to see my these muscles? Arms, man. Exactly. <laughs> Back exactly. in the day. Back in <laughs> Why the day, were they I'll picking on you? Because I'm only, I was only like 5'10", 5'11". I always, I hit homers, I stole bases. That's what I did. And uh, that was just, just the way I played. I mean, I wasn't trying to hit homers, but, um, you know, that was just a part of my game. I was really a guy who wanted to get on and steal bases. But, yeah, it's just. You just do what you can, you know. You try to be a disruptor. That's that's what I learned when I was a young child. I read in that base, baseball digest, and um, you know, you just, you know, if you get on base, make them pay. And that's that was my mantra. That's what I thought about every day. So that's the way I did it. So I want to ask you about um, your current status with the New York Mets because Mets fans love you. But thank you. You feel like the accessibility is much more there now um, with Steve Cohen leading the way. It felt like from day one, the new ownership group comes in and says, hey, let's connect Mets fans to the glory days. Have you seen notable differences in that regard? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Steve Cohen has been front and center, him and his wife, Alex. They've been front and center trying to get uh, the older generation of Met players and, and the newer generation of Met fans together. Because uh, that's how you build dynasties that last year after year after year. Uh, that you, you, you build a, a legacy um, when you connect to the past. And, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. It is what it, you know, past is what it is. And so Steve has done a great job. His wife has done a great job bringing, bringing back players for whether it's appearances during the season, off season, um, podcasts, uh, different things. Um, we had Old Timers Day last year, which was awesome. Uh, this year we had the Hall of Fame induction there, which is awesome. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on, and I think that that fans appreciate that. Um, makes them feel good. You know, it makes them feel like you know the, the team that they've been rooting for, you know, mattered back then, and uh, people want to experience that as much as they possibly can. And the only way to do that is to bring players back in. You can only show so many highlights and videos. They want to see what the guys are, how they look, how we stumble across the grass now, you know. 
they want to see us how old we are. And it, it's, it's fun. It's fun to be around. I mean, there's a camaraderie there, and it, I think the fans can see that. And you're a Mets Hall of Famer now, which is awesome. So um, how did that process much, go? Man. Yeah, congratulations on that. And, and, you know, how did that process go? And also, why do you think that, you know, other ownership groups wouldn't be interested in what you're just talking about? Like, there, there's literally zero downside. It's not like they're saying, oh, we're going to throw them on the field or we're going to have them, you know, influence our players or whatever. It's it's mostly a yeah. fan-oriented situation so that, you know, if a team has not had a ton of consistent winning, they can look back to when there were glorious times for the fan base. Yeah, and if you look at every franchise, there's going to be eras in there that um, were like the happy days for those franchises. I mean, every one of them. You can go back and you could find – pieces of time that for like five years or 10 years that these guys were dominant and yeah, it's good to connect with that because it gives you, it gives you backbone. It gives you something to think about. Like, you know, you want to be part of that, that history, a part of that legacy. Um, we're not starting from scratch. You know, there's, you know, there's, there's history behind us that proves that this organization can win or, you know, they can be very, very competitive. Um, and it, like you said, it costs almost nothing to connect with that. And maybe because the game is, and I, and I, I want to say that's probably part of the reason why things have, you know, kind of went a little bit south as far as with fans and with some of the franchises, that there hasn't been enough of that. And the more you get back to doing that, like more that these, these big markets connect with the older players. And the, and the fans from today, I think that's a good thing. You know, people look at me. I was at the golf tournament, you know, and there's the little kids of these guys I'm playing golf with. There's they're, they're, they're kids, you know. And they come up to me and they say, oh, man. I'm talking about the dads. They're saying, oh, man, I was a huge huge fan of yours when, when you were playing. And the little kid's looking at me like, this guy played actually played Major League Baseball? And that's what they're thinking, right? They're just little kids. They don't know. And so, but that's how, but that's how you connect the game from generation to generation. And, you know, I, I love it. I just, I mean, I just love being around, you know, people who appreciate, you know, the way we played the game back in the day. Not, and I'm sure that, you know, pl players back there may be a little bit more accessible than they are today. I think today there's just so much social media, you know, there's just so much out there. It's, it's hard for players to keep up. Yeah, so they'd rather, they'd rather take a they'd rather take a step back and not have to worry about it at all, if it's possible. But that's that's just not going to happen. We need so much more of humanizing players, though, which obviously we're yeah. doing here, and we yep. do on our our other show, Foul Territory, too. Because otherwise, you can't connect. It's hard to connect with a robot because humans aren't robots. So that's no, correct. we I like it a lot. We we appreciate the time, Ojo. This was awesome, and. uh Props to the MLB Players Alumni Association for lining all these interviews up. And you can hit up baseballalumni.com for more information on your favorite former players. If you want to listen to this, if you're watching it, it's on Apple and Spotify as well. Hojo, great to talk to you, man. Good to see you. It's good to see you guys uh, anytime, okay? I, I really I enjoy connecting and uh, talking about baseball and, you know, Pulling for the Mets, so we'll see what happens this year. They got a long way to go, but yeah, <laughs> got, got to keep the faith, man. That's one thing about Mets fans. They, they, boy, they suffered through some stuff, so see what they got.
they need this. They need this uh, <laughs> 30 minutes of therapy to just kind of relax yeah. and, and think back to the good times. So, exactly. I'm exactly. with you. They're coming. They're coming. <laughs> That's right. Good times are coming.